I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and what's next. It's a show that asks questions and peels back the layers of our average everyday experience and goes beyond scratching the surface. We interview people doing incredible things who are making a difference around the globe. Join me as we listen in and get one step closer to understanding that big ideas shared create collaboration. Collaboration can inspire community, and communities create social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face. So my next interview is with Trevor Crafts and Ellen Sherrocrafts, and we talk about their beautiful and fun, engaging, comical, inspiring, uh, do you need any more, a film called Street Gang, how we got to Sesame Street. This is a this is a film about uh, an, an experimental and groundbreaking show, as uh, many would describe as as lightning in a bottle. These were visionaries who came together under the direction of of um, a few super creative and thoughtful and forward thinking i was going to say futuristic but forward thinking people who who wanted to bring a group of i guess you could say educators together to to attend to this uh, wasteland this uh, televisual wasteland of the day when sesame street was was created it's an origin story it's it's about this amazing uh, iconic show that most of us i would think certainly have an understanding of, or maybe grew up watching, certainly would know some of those uh, characters uh, that were, I mean, these iconic puppets. And uh, what what a different world it might be without, without a show and a team like Sesame Street. It's a show about urban reach and about creative faith. It's about, about, uh, it's about collaboration and consensus. And I love how someone in the film talks about how together uh, these people were a genius. I love that universal, that community that, that comes into uh, this idea uh, of, uh, of the singular, of the one, uh, and of the power of one. And, and the civil rights movement uh, and, uh, is, is an inspiration for this team. Uh, of, uh, and you're going to hear more about them, Joan Cooney and uh, a female television executive at the time who clearly uh, was way ahead of her time in the 60s and knew what was clearly going on and had this vision and had this desire. And so Ellen and Trevor and I, we talk we talk about all of this and we talk about what it means to, I guess, be a crusader um, for, for what's good and right and beautiful and true. So I hope you'll uh, join in, uh, listen uh, to, to the podcast. Uh, we had a delightful time. And uh, don't forget to uh, catch, out, uh, catch the film. 
I was going to say coming soon to a theater near you, but it's already played at festivals and it, it, it's online. You can you can catch it online. Check check the links in the bio for for more information about that. You can also find out more about Trevor and Ellen. There's a link in the bio there as well, and a link uh, to the Street King website as well. And don't forget davidpecklive.com for more information about my writing and uh, speaking and podcasting. You can find out more about me there. Please do sign up for our newsletter. And if you're enjoying the podcast here on Face to Face and what we're doing, what I'm doing, please leave us a review. Sign up uh, for the podcast. subscribe to the YouTube channel, give us a thumbs up, but also we'd love a review on iTunes. That would be super important for us as well. So uh, don't uh, touch that dial as they say, Uh, stay tuned. Coming right up, um, the producers uh, of the film Street Gang, how we got to Sesame Street, coming right up here on Face to Face. Well, welcome to Face to Face. We're joined by two very special guests here with us today to talk about uh, their new film, Street Gang. We have Trevor and Ellen Shara Crafts here to dive a little deeper into this uh, fun and entertaining and such a thoughtful film. Thank you uh, to both of you for joining me today on Face to Face. Thank you. We're glad to be here. Thank you so much. So, you know, just it's sort of the usual question, we've we've kind of got to get it out of the way. You know, how, how, do, how do you get drawn in? I mean, obviously, Sesame Street, I mean, that's that's got to be a draw. The subject matter has to be a draw. But where, where does this story start for, for the two of you? Sure. Well, we um, our company, Macrocosm, is, is really about building worlds. You know, we have a lot of original IP and um, we've done a lot of different film projects and we were looking for a documentary project. And. I had read uh, Michael Davis's book, Street Gang. I'm a huge fan of of Sesame Street. I obviously grew up with the show as a kid and watching it in my Same. parents' basement. Yeah, of course. We all have, you know, we're all Sesame kids. The show's been around for 50 years. There's not, there's really not a lot of humans that weren't Sesame kids. At it's this crazy point. to yeah, it's think crazy. of that. Like, well, I'm right. getting goosebumps just thinking about it. As I, I don't even really remember the show as a kid in a sense. And yet, right. as I was watching the films and the clips... I mean, I was there. It all comes back. Yeah, yeah it all comes flooding yeah, back. Yeah. And so I, you know, as a Sesame kid, I thought, well, I know everything about this. And I'm sure there's been a doc about Sesame Street, you know, and, and right. there's been, you know, certainly there's been coverage because, mm-hmm. you know, it's a global yeah. phenomenon. But what I was really amazed by Michael's book was the amount that I didn't know about the show and not so much even the show itself, but the people who made the show, you know, Mm. I never heard of John Stone before who's the original director and came up with the idea of the street. And I obviously knew about Jim Henson. He's a, he's you know, sort of like a personal hero for me. And, and I just was amazed. So I said, Oh, you know, have a read. I think this might be our next project. And I thought all the same things, (laughs) you know, it was Michael's book is uh, called Street Gang, A Complete History of Sesame Street. So it goes over 40 years, 40 years, because there's 52 now. I mean, it's insane. Um, 40 years of the show. And what I was drawn to was similar things that Trevor said. But for me, what I really was drawn to was this origin story, this idea that this um, amazing, iconic show started out... uh, as a revolutionary idea, you know, that it was not a guaranteed success, that it really took this coming together of this amazing gang of people with a common purpose. Um, And I thought that was fascinating. And to take something that we really consider to be an institution, which is Sesame Street, and really get underneath 
what it took to actually make it happen and the people that were there at the time to do it. And again, coming together on this common idea that they wanted to use the medium of television to teach children using Madison Avenue techniques, right? right. Um, and But even more critically, that they wanted to intentionally reach children of color that were living in the inner cities that due to racism and poverty did not have the same access to yeah. education and success in education. And I thought that is... Definitely something I want to get into. (laughs) Got to be a documentary, right? Has to be a documentary. I loved, I loved the quote. What what TV would do if it loved people instead of sold to people? I mean, that's kind of might be my paraphrase, but but I'm not sure who said that. Pretty close. Yeah, that That was the head of the FCC. Yeah, at the time. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, but I think that's you know we have to remember that now every Nick Jr. show or Disney Jr. show or preschool show or bridge audience show, they all have curriculums. Every single one right. is required right. by all networks. And, you know, but it wasn't always that way. There wasn't always that requirement. Essentially, there was all, many children's television shows were just designed to sell and just designed to show right. products. And there's a well, lot seeing of- that little that that. Trevor, that montage sequence yeah. was, it's almost, it's crass. Yeah. It's like, what, right? the, the Tootsie, I like Tootsie Rolls. Don't but, forget to you tell know, your the, parents the, around, you know, about Tootsie Rolls. And it's, but that's the crazy part is that that's what it was. And there was even a moment before, we don't cover this in our film, but there was a, a children's television show that was selling vitamins to kids. Like, tell your mommy and daddy to go buy this random vitamin. You know, it was like, and that was kind of a tipping point, you know. A couple of years before the sort of fateful dinner party where Lloyd Morissette asked Joan Gans Cooney, do you think that television could be used to teach kids? A few years before that, the FCC chairman at the time then said, you know, television was a wasteland. Children's mm. television was a wasteland. And audiences really were ready for something that was new, that was actually had an intention to do good. And that's, I think, where, you know, this gang of people that came together, they all shared that same vision that was Jones. And also something could be watched by parents and kids alike. So here was this right. incredibly uh, experimental, interesting show using satire and adult humor, yeah, as well sure. as, you know, engaging these educational tools for preschoolers, because they also knew because they spent all of this um, time and money and energy around research to make sure what they were doing was going to actually accomplish their goals. Yeah. And they found that with parents watching a ch- the ch- with the child, that it, it, it made such an impact on what the retention was for the young person who was watching and in aided in the learning. So, I mean, again, all of these concepts completely revolutionary and never had yeah. been done before. So, so, so much to talk about. I so love the film for so many reasons. I was a little afraid I was going to watch it and say, oh, I don't really want to see behind the scenes on this one, you know, just because of that thing. But once I saw that the set and the sort of the higher shots and then, and then big bird without big birds costume on just the legs walked by, I just thought, okay, this is hysterical to just, <laughs> you know, and, and, and then those shots around the, the, I guess they were boardroom tables. And what just stood out to me was the genius of collaboration yeah. and, and just how did it all come together so beautifully and, and for so many years, yeah. you know, it, it really is a remarkable uh, achievement. You know, Joan has a quote Um, which I'm also paraphrasing, uh, where she said, you know, individually, we were all great, but together we were a genius, a singular genius. 
Yeah, you know, I cool. think that's a great way to put it. It's and a I, great. Well, in this day and age, and what we're seeing around the world, and the exclusion and the division. I mean, what a what a beautiful motto going forward. Yeah, and it was so signature to her leadership style. Absolutely. You know, and with Lloyd and she being the creators, and Lloyd very much focusing on the research, and you know, he's the father of Sesame Street. You know, but she was the leader around that production, and that was very much, I think, such an indication of her tone and style, and yeah. why the show was successful because she. She really fostered that um, that uh, you know environment that allowed people to collaborate in the way they did, allowed them to be experimental and bring their um, their best to the table, yeah. and to try and to fail. You know but that you was know, all acceptable. You, you know, it's really beautiful too about the fact that we're having this conversation so many years later, and it was such a huge success that it, they were tr- they truly were trailblazers, but they were successful trailblazers you know, on a global level. It's not that this doc was made about this show that lasted for 18 months and the, and the, and the public wasn't ready for it. Right. And we look back in history and go, Oh, these guys were ahead of their time. Well, they truly were. Yes. Yeah. You know, it's these lightning in a bottle moments, right. That are so fascinating to us as a culture, you know, because we, because, you know, people have asked us, well, what do you think you know, what if it never happened? Well, thank goodness we don't ever gonna we're not gonna know that, right? Because this this show has such deep roots in our so many of our cultures around the world. You know, from the minute it was broadcast, it immediately had co-productions almost the next year uh, or within the second first year. second year in Mexico and Germany. And yeah. then it just yeah. continued to expand globally Amazing. from there, right? So um, but yeah, it's like you know, and I think that as a as a society, you know. I think it's important for us to examine these lightning in a bottle moments yeah, and then and sure. seeing how this combined social consciousness brought these people together at the right time yeah. to answer yes. something in the right moment. And that's yeah, incredibly good. fascinating. Hey, hey, if you haven't been able to tell yet, I, I love the film and, and congr- congr- <laughs> congratulations on it. And an in, international premiere at Hot Docs coming up. Uh, that's got to be pretty exciting. And it's, you know, too bad we're not face to face having this conversation Truly. At, a, at a local pub in, uh, you know, just off Richmond Street or something. But it's it's uh, maybe, maybe next Hot Docs. It's, I it's hope all- so. It'll be amazing. We're yeah, so honored knows, to be right? part of Hot Docs. It's such a prestigious and wonderful festival. And we'll, we're proud to be doing it virtually, but we wish we were there. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> I bet. I bet. And, and so the film will be available online, ultimately down the road for people to see on demand, which is really exciting too. And and that's great. My listeners will will absolutely uh, appreciate that. Um, so, so, so many places to go. Tell me, tell me about the, the, uh, um, hmm. That that film that was made, Urban Coalition, is is that right? That that was a, a bit of that driving force for for what kind of wound up on screen. Can, can you guys talk about that a little bit? Yeah, that was sure. the uh, that was fascinating. The, uh, yeah, it was a PSA called "Send Your Kid to the Ghetto," and obviously it was a very sort of satirical right. concept as. You know, uh, a lot of middle America didn't really understand what was going on in the inner cities at the time. And, you know, John Stone was a television producer and had kind of, you know, retired and Joan asked him to, to come back into the, into the war as it were to, to really do something new. And as he was thinking about the setting for the show, most kids shows were set like in like a candy land or like a fanciful forest or something that was like that. Right. You know, he was watching TV and he saw this PSA and it was shot on the street in Harlem, it was real and it was gritty. And I think the there were a lot of layers of faith that happened that created the street. And John seeing it and being 
you have understanding that the team that he was working with, Joan Gans Cooney, he could go and approach her with this very radical idea. Let's like let's take a kids show and let's put it on a dirty city street. Cool. Right. You're good right. with that, right? Doesn't sound like a great line in the film where she says, "I believe John said I turned several shades of pale." Yeah, you know, I mean, that's like that's but like I, great. Yeah, it's, it's, it's perfect. <laughs> I mean, and but but I so believed in what he was doing, and that kind of creative faith in the people that you work with great. is, Love is that amazing phrase. in and of itself. But the PSA, you know, basically that came from this Victor DiNapoli footage that we. It's you know, so the, the, good. The impetus to find it was this behind-the-scenes footage that we got from Sesame Workshop, and in that, John Stone is interviewed in 1981, and he says, "I found this. You know, I, I came up with the idea for from this PSA." Well, then that's when the search begins because it's not like I'm just going to find a piece of like Gone with the Wind or you know like Titanic or some other movie clip that's easily available. Like this is a lost in antiquities, you know. PSA and right. it was rich. Our, oh. Uh, <laughs> oh, I, I hope Rich Rensberg, our archival producer, is a just a, a giant in the archival world. I mean, he he found it. I mean, and it took and it took forever, you know. It took but, three years for us from the time we started looking to the finally like getting all the rights and the paper signed. It took three years to get that into wow. the film because there's only one copy in the whole world. You know, wow. Rich was able to track it down. He's yeah. like our bloodhound. Yeah, he's amazing. And that was, you know, so incredibly. And that was with the inspiration. So John said the life that happens in that in the community is on the stoop. And so he wanted to base the show around a brownstone and a stoop. And again, because as Joan said, if they couldn't reach those children in the term inner city of that time, right, that it was hardly worth doing. And John knew that, you know, they had hired this amazing woman, um, Evelyn Davis, who was in charge of outreach. Um, she was the founder of 100 Black Women in New York. And she was, her role and her, her employee's role was to make sure while they were going through this development period of creating the show, that the that the kids that they were trying to reach, Black kids um, in in these low, uh, you know, they, they, what they used to call low-income neighborhoods, right? This All this terminology from the late 60s and 70s you know, that they were actually getting what they wanted them to get from the show, which was educational resources. But, and they knew in order to do that, they needed representation by the people that they were seeing on the show. They needed people of color to be on that show. And they also wanted them to feel very comfortable in that environment of seeing right, right. their neighborhood being represented. It was community organizing. That was I mean, revolutionary. Was, nobody had ever done that for a kid's show before. I mean, just, it's, People weren't doing that in adult television. Correct. You know. Right, right. I love too that 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 the early Muppet show and help me out here was late fifties. It was late oh. night TV. Oh, you mean, uh, Salmon, Salmon Friends. Friends. Thank the you. Earliest, Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah I get yeah, the yeah, early the three iterations of the Muppet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was a college sort of the it was, yeah, it was just, marketed for a college crowd. It, it was just, just late night comedy. It was like yeah, sketch comedy so cool. essentially, and it was yeah. you know Johnny Carson. Yeah, yes. I mean, Jim yes. Henson never really wanted to be a puppeteer. Jim Henson wanted to be on television. Which he is wanted so to do things, funny. and this is sort of the avenue that it took. And he wanted to be right. a filmmaker. Yeah, I mean, he yeah. was he was about not as an actor on television. He wanted to you know produce television, and um, you know, Sam and Friends became this like quiet little hit in Washington D.C. Right. And it was like this, you know, came on after the news, dark and it humor, was, and like weird you know. stuff, sure. and that sort of 
started his track and did a lot more corporate work, did a lot more commercials, along with doing a lot of, you know, live action film as well and short film. But, you know, that's ultimately how Joan found out was through John Stone. They had worked together on a piece and yeah, they she did a, knew of him. But They did a documentary or it was an experimental film kind of documentary, you know, that was called Youth 68 that John and Jim worked on together. So when Joan brought John in, she's he said, you know, you need to meet this colleague of mine, my friend, Jim Henson, and he brought Jim Henson into the workshop to meet Joan. Yeah. It's, it's so amazing when you, when you look back and you see those dots connect and yes. how it happened, you just went, somebody was rolling some dice somewhere in the universe. Like, <laughs> honestly, you know, and that, and that also led remarkable. to Joe Raposo because they had John and Jim and Joe had worked together on a project. And so John was like, well, let's bring in my friend, Joe Raposo <laughs> to do the music. Right, right Again, right. it was all these connection points. You're absolutely right. And okay, Chris, just sorry, I ask you. John and John and uh, and Joe Raposo had gone to college together. Yeah. It was like all this weird interconnection. <laughs> yeah, of yeah. This well, and, and of really, this group of people. I love how you end the film and 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 the the just with that relational love, joy, love, freedom component. Can I say that? Yes. Uh, yeah. I hope that's not too much of a spoiler, but it really does. I'm sure that the show had issues. I'm sure there was you know lots of well, five million dollar lawsuit. Hilarious line in the film, by the way. Got yeah, solved yeah. for about fifty yeah. bucks. Never went, never <laughs> went all the way through it. But okay, uh, good. I'm so glad to hear that. I just, <laughs> so before I ask you a, a a more sort of you know significant question, I would say the probably the most important question is favorite character. I mean, come on. I started just to list. I'm like, oh, I forgot about Oscar. What? Home, I just as I was watching, you know, I had to ask my wife, Elizabeth. She's a primary school teacher uh, who the who the elephant was. I, I couldn't Snuffy. remember. Snuffleupagus. Yes. No, horrifying, yeah. you know. So so Elmo, like who's who's your favorite character? Uh, Big Bird. You know, uh, you know, how can you not love Big Bird? Yeah. And I remember, you know, being a kid, just being so fascinated by his warmth and his size. And I had these like definite dreams that I was going to be able to get in the nest and like curl up and give him big hugs. Cause I just imagined he was extremely cuddly and like really soft and loving. And so, yeah, yeah. so big bird. Carol would always, have liked that. I, I know I never got to tell him that, but it's yeah, definitely big bird for me was just, that was, you know, I identified with big bird and wanted to be his friend <laughs> for me. Um, it's really a toss up between two. It's Grover who's like, yeah. I think one of the best comedians of the whole production. And honestly, like one of the best teachers, because he's always showing the kids how to how to do something through his own failure, which is like a fun, right, right, fun, different right. way to do it. But also I got to I got to throw it out to Guy Smiley. He's uh, the that, announcer guy that 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 game show host is also like Jim's never, never was personality. You know, as like yes. a guy who's very quiet. If Jim, if Jim Perry was a puppet, correct? Oh, you know? that, that's great. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 Like, there's just like this wry um, kind of. I don't even know what it is, but I, I know exactly what you're talking that's about. Well there's said, something. Though. I like that. Yeah. No, it's true. <laughs> guy Smiley's my guy. Yeah, that's so funny. Uh, that's so awesome. So Jim Henson. Um, you know, his daughter talks about such a great line about how he wore the pain of the world. I think she was talking about Jim, I think. You, uh, um, she's John talking Stone. about John Stone. Thank you. Because, okay, great. Well, let's talk about that first, because I got a, a quote about Jim and responsibility and so on. Uh, I, I just, I'm really fascinated by their 
their, their desire towards activism, their desire towards change. You know, what's the line? Let's educate kids. No, let's sell kids the alphabet instead of beer commercials, essentially. Yeah. Like that whole Budweiser thing is just, what is going on? Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. What is going on, right? So, so well, let's talk about about the the Polly's comment about you know he wore the pain of the world in a way that other people would probably just let go. That fascinates me. Um, yeah, and-, and I think that was the that was the you know John. We were first of all, we were so incredibly yeah. fortunate to have both Kate and Polly Stone yeah. uh, participate yeah. in the doc the documentary. Really? Yeah. Yeah, it really was. And they it's haven't, the, they haven't done a lot of interviews. I don't know if they've, what was the first time. I think. Yeah. And, uh, it was so important to us after reading Michael's book and really getting to know the story to really talk about John and his contributions because he was there for decades and he was so critical as part of this team to create people. A lot of, a lot of people think all the creative stuff came from Jim, from Jim Henson and, and that That's was right. not true. Yep. You know, it was, I mean, he obviously did a ton, but John Stone was also a huge creative and um, force was, in the show. And it was his show to a certain degree. I mean, it was his, his concept mm. and, you know, a lot of these things. But, you know, the pain of the world part was a lot of, I think, reason why he left television to begin with. He was on Captain Kangaroo, which was really, I think, prior to this, like the the show that was the most, you know, respected yeah. in terms of how it talked to children right. and managed things sure. with children. Yeah. And, and, you know, he's, you know, he said that Joan, was a very charming lady and convinced him because, you know, to come on board, because I think, again, it appealed to what he wanted to do. And he was a person who was very black and white in terms of, you know, what what is good and what is evil and what you should be doing and what, you know, and what you're, you know, that kind of thing. And, And he used that as a sort of a, what we felt was like a very much a guiding force in his life. But, you know, with that came a lot of disappointment in the fact that, when things didn't go the way you thought they should go or the yeah. people didn't like what you were putting out in the world or um, didn't see your true intent, you know? So I think, you know, Kate mentions right. that he suffered from depression. I think that was the other side of this, you know, but he was very mm. much a crusader for what he thought was good and right. Yeah. And when that, when he came up with obstacles or people who didn't really understand that, I think that that was very devastating for him. Yeah. It's very challenging. And there's a line that didn't make it into the film um, but something that, uh, the stone daughter said that, you know, John did have the opportunity, uh, cause he worked pretty much on Sesame street until he couldn't anymore because he had Lou Gehrig's disease. Um, and, uh, you know, ultimately they say, you know, he could have done a lot of different things. He could, he had a lot of offers to do other projects, I bet. I bet. but he wasn't going to leave the love of his life. You know, and that's a pretty big statement to make about a TV show that you're directing. But that really was how much he cared about this show. And that really was how he felt. And it is because of his black and white nature. And, you know, that really, I think, cemented that for him. Sesame Street is good. And you have to protect it. And you have to do whatever you can to keep it going. You know, and I know Joe Raposo felt that same way and it's, you know, and, and as did everybody, I mean, uh, you know, but John was really, you know, in our opinion, we've really found him to be sort of the soul of the show. Yeah. You know, that heart, that one that was, you know, and, and I think sometimes it also made it difficult for him to adapt and change over the years Mm, because, you know, you really have this, well, we've done, this is what we're supposed to do, but the world adapts and changes, right? And it doesn't mean that your mission gets diluted. It means that you have to think about how you are approaching 
a new audience, a new generation of kids. And I think that that sometimes is where he also had some struggles from what we've, we've learned in research. But, you know, again, uh, such inc- incredible heart and soul and intention. And that yeah. really was what he built and created. John, 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 Joan, and Jim. The Jays. The yeah. triple Jays. And Joe, yeah. and Joe Raposa. And Joe, and Joe. four Jays. Yeah. Are there any Sesame Street characters with a J? I'm sure there are. Um, tell, tell, so Joan was quite a trail trailblazer. Oh man, uh, and 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 really clearly committed in in a way that many others wouldn't have been to to, to so sort of to John's point, right? Like she didn't yeah. she didn't walk away. She she no. stepped in, rolled up the sleeves and stepped in. Maybe put on the boxing gloves in some cases. Well, I think it's so fascinating. You're so right. And I think it's so fascinating. Again, when we look back, you know, you take, you know, she had been doing television, she'd be doing public, public television, she'd be doing documentaries, but, you know, she was this, she was the leader. She was going to be the, the, the person who was running children's television workshop. And she, of course, cause it's the late 1960s is getting pushback from the foundations and other entities that were going to give money to say that a, that's great. Um, this is your idea and your concept, but you're a woman. And so you can't possibly run it, you know, and just to even to start there. So just imagining that if that had been a case where she hadn't been able to push through those barriers, where would we be? Because her leadership, this was her vision. And she said, I told them they couldn't do it without me because it was all in my head, you know, but that <laughs> was amazing. Right. Yeah. And what yeah, an incredible so you know, for me as a female producer, you know, it's still hard, you know, to do that. You know, we have our own company. So we, you know, it, that is, that is helpful, but you know, you still deal with these things. you still deal with barriers due to gender. Um, and I think about all the young women that are coming up in, in media that, that have these issues. And so what an incredible role model that she was. Mm. And to say that I believe in myself, I believe in this idea and I'm going to push it forward. And then again, her style of leadership was so critical and, you know, and her partnership with Lloyd was, was so critical in how the show yeah. sustained, you know, she had to be a spokesperson. She had to be the, the public seat, face, the public yeah. face. She had to be the fundraiser, you know, she had to, to run the, the cruise. It's, it's, she was really, the women f- all around the world can relate to the multitasking. Oh involved. yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's true. But I mean, she really was the first female television executive, mm. which is again, for a kids yep. show, it's just at least one of the it. first. I mean, she yeah. may be the first. Yes, exactly. But it just she's she's one of our a personal lot hero. of lot of love. Uh, oh you know, yeah, her. remarkable. Did she also first impression of Jim Henson? Did she call him a hippie? I believe. Oh yeah, she yeah, says yeah. In the film, yeah. That's it. That's yeah, a, which is so cool because it sounds like she was, you know, kind of, you know, obviously we ju- we all prejudge on some right, level, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. But clearly she was wide open because later we find out that she says to the lawyer, "Yeah, we'll just give him whatever he wants." Oh, no, it's true. But I think you know, pay, right? She actually thought in Michael's book, you know, it goes in even a little bit further. She thought that Jim was part of the Weather Underground, which had been doing a lot of bombings at that time. <laughs> so she was actually. You know, there was they did these huge seminars, which you didn't really have enough time to get into in the film. But, you know, these multi hundred person seminars where they just did these huge deep dives into concepts. And, you know, she looks at Dave Connell, who we didn't also get a lot of chance to cover in the film. He was the first executive producer of of Sesame. And, you know, she's like, who is that weirdo? (laughs) 
And he's like, what are you talking about? She's like, I'm afraid that he's going to like drop a bomb and like explode this room full of like very important people, including myself. And he turns out to be one of the the world's most recognizable kids entertainers. Yeah. Oh, by the way. And they had an incredibly, uh, they had a great relationship. You know what I mean? That was like, she, she said he was precious to me. You know, because he, you know, and that was as wonderful. And again, I think it's, um, but I think you also think about this is 1960s. It's very much Mad Men New York, right? Right. And people are in, even though it's public television, people are coming in and, you know, in their, in their suits and their, their, their appropriate dresses, if you know, and then you've got, but it's also the countercultures happening at the same time. So it's this beginning of this mix. And again, nothing can change if you're not. Yes. A, cra- a crazy time. I mean, you can, I suppose we could go back through most of history and, and find a pocket of 20 or 30 years and say, wow, that was nuts what was happening. Yeah. People are going to say it about our the last 20 years of, of, of our uh, generation as well, I'm sure. But but yeah, really quite a troubled uh, period of time, mm-hmm. certainly for, for, for the US, globally oh, yeah. though, for sure as well. Um, I'd love, I'm, sadly, we're going to have to wrap this up. I'm having so much fun. I mean, what, you know, it's, and such a fan and I hope everybody gets to see this film. Honestly, it's, it's what I love about this is it's so layered, but it's also, it's just so entertaining, right? It's yeah. just, so, and, and, and so much, and what a great thing to be, um, to be learning from a, a, a movie about Sesame Street. Yeah. You know, it's so great. I'm getting educated while I'm watching about <laughs> children's education. So Jim Henson said this really, I thought, amazing, insightful, and, and, and marvelous thing. It was like this um, insight, but also a challenge. And he said, you know, here I was working in an industry that wasn't willing to face up to their responsibility. And again, you know, you go, why, I, I just wonder why, why Jim and not someone else? Why John? Why Joan? And, and, and I wonder how many of us face those types of decisions and we, we, we do walk away, right? Anyway, I'm not even sure what the question is, but I just, no, but I, I, I was really blown away by that. I think that's, again, that's, and I think you just sort of trying to talk about what we want people to take away from this film. Again, like, you know, yeah. we wanted this film to be entertaining because just like sesame, you got to put the medicine in the candy, right? So like the candy yeah. is all the delicious, wonderful, yeah. entertaining, great fun stuff. Yes. And Kermit's facial expressions. Fantastic. Amazing. You watch them all day long. And, you know, as adults, for totally. us to go back to make these these connections, this nostalgia to go back to our childhood, yeah. this time that we were so open to doing, to taking everything in and yeah. to being yeah, our best good. version of ourselves, right? It's and, so good. Yeah. And, you know, that's, and to then say, okay, let's, let's look at the world now as an adult, you know, what am I doing or what can I do to continue to be valuable and to, to help sustain goodness in the world? Yeah. And, and it, and it can be done through felt and fur and fuzz. And that could have been, that could have been the tagline for Sesame Street, sustaining goodness in the world. <laughs> <laughs> they, you know, kindness, stronger, smarter, kinder, right? Yeah. I mean, that's what they're, yeah. they're doing. But so, so I think you summed up what we really, what our intention was. No, so thank you. That's cool. Uh, we're, I mean, seeing some of the, seeing Paul Simon in the credit sequence, I just, again, all the people and the stars that stepped oh. into this and just saw clearly the value in it, you know, on, on so many levels and a young James Earl Jones reciting the alphabet. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. And James Earl Jones, whose acting coach was Mr. Hooper. Yes. Will Lee. Oh, wow. Will Lee was his acting coach. Wow. In New York. That's, I'm getting goosebumps. I, I had tears. My wife and I watched that. Oh. We were both. That's quite a scene. Yeah. I didn't think Big Bird would ever reduce me to tears, but he did. Yeah. 
We watched this cut many times, as you can imagine, uh, and it still gets us, yeah. you know, oh, it is such a, a so wonderful. incredibly beautifully done and uh, didn't talk down to kids, no. yeah, tried to understand what it was that they needed to know about something that was very complex and adult and delivered it. And that's what Sesame did then and what they continued yeah. to do. It's the kind of it's the kind of pitch that you would think that the executive producer would say, no, sorry, not making it into this because we we're just not going to talk about death on a kid show. Right. And and maybe they did hear a bit of that, but boy, am I ever glad they stepped into it. It was just the, the courage. And and what a beautiful, beautiful scene. You well, know? it's and I think it's it is as John Stone says and, and Roscoe says in the in the film, you know, everything was real that you saw. Mm. And I think it's actually probably so one of the most honest moments on television for scripted television because yeah you know they were it was about somebody that they had worked with for 10 years who had passed away and more it was their friend you know when you do 130 hours of television a season which is bananas you know it's totally bananas that is your family you know, you're going to see them more than you see your own family at at, based on that volume and you know when Will died, it was a shock to everybody. And oh, seeing, bet. you know, Bob McGrath break down and seeing Sonia break down, I mean, he, this was about their friend. So, you know. And now we have our preschooler. Oh, there He's you here go. To join us. <laughs> awesome. What a <laughs> Sorry, great kiddo. way. Hey, who hi. we got here? Hi. This is Riley. Can you say hi? Riley, hello. Hi. Hi, Riley. <laughs> hey, I have a question for you, Riley. Oh, hey, Riley. you're gone. Yeah. Are you a do, are you a fan of Sesame Street too? Yeah. Yeah. Who's your favorite character? <laughs> Who's your favorite character on Sesame Street? Oh, oh. I'm getting with Abby. Abby Cadabby. Oh, there you go. <laughs> nice. Well, what a what a great uh, way to 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 wrap up this chat today. Thank thanks so much for 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 taking the time joining me on Face to Face. We've been talking with Trevor and Ellen Shurcrafts about uh, their wonderful uh, new film, a Street Gang. It's a movie that everyone has to see. And any any uh, any final words for us? Oh, we're no, just, just so thank thrilled you. for everybody and, and parents uh, everywhere. You can relate. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Thanks, thanks a lot, everybody, and today. thank you so much. So there you have it, my interview with Trevor Crafts and Ellen Shearer Crafts about their beautiful new film, Street Gang, How We Got to Sesame Street. I hope you enjoyed uh, the interview and the conversation and the dialogue. Once again, we were just barely getting started. So much to talk about. And as you can see, it's such a rich film. It's funny, it's entertaining, it's thoughtful, but it's just a beautiful reminder of all that's both right and wrong, I suppose you could say, with the world today. And I, I think it's 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 truly inspirational and it's a film for, for everyone and uh, kind of like Sesame Street, really, in a sense. It's, it's, it, it's, it is for everyone and so much more going on there than meets the eye. And I just so once again want to remind you and love that notion of coming together as a community and this camaraderie you know, conflict as well, but together these people develop this sense of a genius and what a beautiful thing that is. So thanks to uh, Trevor and Ellen for joining me here on Face to Face today. Don't forget David Peck Live for more information about my writing and public speaking and, and podcasting. Please sign up for the newsletter, like us on YouTube, give us that thumbs up, subscribe to the channel, and leave us a review on iTunes as soon as possible. Thanks again uh, for listening, and we will see you soon on Face to Face.
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.